0: Namaste everyone,
1: very happy to meet you as part of this uh, session, it's a beautiful Sunday morning, I know it's Mm -hmm. difficult to wake up early on a Sunday morning, but thank you so much for joining the session. Uh, Yesterday, uh, you know, one of uh, our programs uh, commenced in Hyderabad, so I'm in Hyderabad uh, the next few days, so I couldn't uh, offer the session online, so I shifted this to today morning. So we'll have a brief uh, session today uh, going through one or through two sutras and then continue probably the next uh, session. Let us begin with an invocation. Yogena padena vacha Malam sharirasya Yopakarotam pravaram muninam Patanjalim Pranjaliranadosmi Om Shri Guru Pyonamaha
0: Hariyom.
1: We have been looking at the various sutras as part of this uh, session. Let me share my screen here.
0: Let us chant the sutras that we have learned so far. Ogus
1: chitta vritini rode haha. Yoga chitta vriti rode haha. Adadrash to swaroop a was hanam. Tadadrash to swaroop a was hanam. Brittisaru pyamita retra. <Shritayaf> klišta Vrittayaf panchatayak kliṣhta kliṣhta ha Vrittayaf panchatayak kliṣhta kliṣhta ha Brahmanaviparyaya vikalpa nidra smṛtayaha Brahmanaviparyaya vikalpa nidra Pratyakshanuma gama, humana gama, pramanani. Vipar yeo, mithyagyana, matad droopa pratish tum. Vipar yeo, mithyagyana, matad droopa pratish tum. Shabdagyana, vikalpaha. Shaptagnanupati Vastu So we have
0: been looking at
1: what is yoga? Yoga is the cessation of the vrittis. yoga chitta vritti nirodha. And when one is in the state of yoga, or when one is a witness or the witness is in one's own true nature when one is in the state of yoga. Tadadrashtu swarupe vasthana. The drashta is in one's own pure nature when one is in the state of yoga. But what happens at all other times when one is not in the state of yoga? We are distracted by many things. We are of the nature of the vrittis. So in the yoga sutras, in the Vyasa Bharshiya, there are different states of the mind which are described kshipta Moodha, vikshipta ekagrata nirodha and samadhi kshipta Moodha, vikshipta ekagrata nirodha and samadhi the first 3 stages represent what we are currently going through in a normal circumstances Normally, our mind, how is it? It is distracted. It is flowing outward. It focuses on the objects of its senses. Right? Whatever sound we hear, whatever things we see, our entire focus is on that particular thing. So it is in the state of distraction, kshipta. Or the mind is clouded with a lot of impurities because of which we are not able to see the truth or perceive who we really are or reach the stage of, uh, you know, samadhi or kaivalya or, you know, deeper states because our mind is clouded. Just like a mirror, there is a dust on it. It is clouded. It is in the state of muda. Muda can also be translate, translated roughly as a stupid state. What do you mean by a stupid state? It is a tamasic state which does not know what is the truth. One is ignorant and unaware of what the truth is. Right? So that is the state of muda. So, muda. And vikshipta Vikshipta is a state where sometimes there is focus and sometimes there is distraction. This happens typically in meditation. When we close our eyes to meditate, sometimes we get a glimpse of that stillness. But at at the next moment, it is all outward. So, Vikshipta is a state which goes from this withdrawn state to to the outward state. It is inward bound, then it is outward bound. It is focused, it is distracted. So these three states represent more or less what we go through on a normal or a day-to-day but the next stages are in terms of Ekagrita, Nirodha and uh, Samadhi. These are much more deeper states where Ekagrita, all these are Parinamas that happen. These are called Parinamas or changes. In the Yoga Sutra, they are looked at as Parinamas or changes. In Ekagrita, what happens is that the mind becomes one point focused. It is what even in Hindi and all that, those who speak,
0: uh,
1: you know, some of these languages, already the word Ekagrita is there. Ekagrita Chitta. It means that the mind is very focused at that time. It is not distracted here and there. We are able to take an object and hold it in our awareness and focus on that particular object. This can happen when we take up a japa or we take up the meditation of our Ishta Devata or Guru or whatever it is. There are some stages where we are completely focused on whatever needs to be focused on. So that is called Ekagrata Chitta. Nirodha is the complete cessation where there is complete stillness over there. These vrittis are not happening and then eventually this leads to the stage of samadhi. So in the normal condition, when we say vrittisarupya mitaratra, at all other times, our chitta is focused on the vrittis. Either it is distracted, it is clouded or it is completely uh, outward bound, suddenly inward bound and suddenly outward bound. These things keep happening. So uh, that parinama of nirodha or ekagrata or samadhi takes a long time to achieve with such a distracted mind. This typically happens. All of us want to take up some kind of a sadhana or deeksha or whatever it is. But when we take up the diksha or sadhana, what happens? At that time, our mind is very distracted. We are not able to arrive at what is essential for that particular sadhana. And hence, it is difficult to keep up with the japa or continue that sadhana uh, in a very systematic manner because our mind keeps focusing on these, you know, here and there, this thing, that thing. It is not in a state of rest and peace because of which a lot of energy is lost. One of the ways that prada is lost is by thinking and then planning and, uh, you know, through these distractions. Otherwise, the prada stays within the system in a very contained manner and becomes very beneficial. But how does the prana go waste? Because of these distracting thought processes through our senses. Because the prana is the one that operates these senses. When we say prana kosha, it is to do with prana, the panchap prana together with the you know, karmendriyas. That is the prana kosha. The karmendriya or the senses of action act because of the flow of prana. But if we waste it, then what happens? All the prana goes waste and no prana is available for our higher pursuit of spiritual practices. So when we say vritti, what are the vrittis? Pramana, viparyaya, vikalpa, nidra and smriti. When we look at modern science, neuroscience and all that, those also talk about these such different states of consciousness. It talks about the waking state, sleeping state, dreaming state, hallucinating states and all that. In a similar manner, these are different states that are chitta goes through. Pramana is in terms of right knowledge. Viparyaya is in terms of incorrect knowledge. Incorrect knowledge means we attribute something to something that which is not. We see a tree and think it is a post. We see a rope and think it is a sarpa or a snake, that is viparyaya. Vikalpa is imag- imagination, imagination in the sense there is not something in reality. That particular thing does not exist in reality, but it exists only as words in our chitta. That is called uh, you know, Vikalpa. Nidra and Smriti, we will look at in today's session. We looked a little bit at Nidra in the previous session and Smriti, we will look at it in today's session. So when we say Pramana, what are the different sources of knowledge? Pratyaksha, Anumana and Agama. Directly gaining it through the senses, through the process of inference and through Shabda Pramana, which is the testimonial or of the uh, testimonial of the experts, like Rishis, who have seen the truth and present the truth to us in the form of knowledge. It could be through books. It could be directly through the instructions from the Guru or it could even be revealed knowledge. So, Pratyaksha, and we saw some frameworks from Nyaya Shastra as well to understand more about this Pratyaksha, you know, Anumana. How does this inference happen? And what is Shabda Pramana? All that we saw, some frameworks from Nyaya Shastras as well in terms of how do we draw inferences. We saw about Swartha Anumana and Parartha Anumana. Swartha Anumana is when we draw inferences for ourselves parartha anumana is in terms of drawing inferences when we talk about these inferences and to others in terms of scientific evidence and how to frame a scientific evidence sentence that also we saw in terms of pratyaksha hetu udaharana and all that how to frame a sentence which has five components to prove your point that there is mountain, there is fire on the mountain you see the smoke you infer that there is fire then you communicate it to other saying, see, there is smoke. There should be fire here because wherever there is fire, there is smoke. And hence I am, con- where, or wherever there is smoke, there should be fire present over there to create that smoke. And hence I am inferring that there is fire on the mountain. So we frame a sentence and convince others accordingly. And Agama is what is the purity that one needs in order to tell the truth and convey the truth to others so that the right vritti is created in the mind of others suppose i talk about dhyana the state of dhyana or if i talk about uh, say dharana i should use the right words to communicate so that you you for in your mind the right image or vritti of dhyana is formed otherwise it it, it only creates a hallucinating or an imaginary thought process okay that is what we looked at till now We also saw some defects why this viparyaya is created. Could be defect of the eye or it could be defects of the mind or it could be because of it's something which is far away and all that. So abhava pratyayalambana prithir nitra. So seriously, deep sleep is that state of mind which is based on the absence of any content. So, samskaras are caused by anubhava, right? So, in case there was no anubhava that was happening in the sleep, then how would we say, how would we wake up and say that I had a good sleep? So, it means that some kind of cognition, some kind of pratyaya is happening when we are sleeping. There are different understandings to it. Some people talk about you know, compare sleep with that deep state of uh, meditation. In some texts, it is. Uh, in some places, sleep is considered to be a vritti in Different places, it's different things. All this we have been looking at. We also looked at Paramahamsa Yogananda's this how he enters into the state of Samadhi in a very voluntary manner. And we've also seen Swami Rama's, uh, you know, reference I've provided. You can take a look at how Swami Rama manipulates his vital parameters by going into a deep state of Samadhi, almost as if he is dead. A lot of neuroscientific studies have been done. And uh, Swami Rama's ashram uh, has excellent, uh, you know, neuroscientific uh, studies based equipments and instruments where a lot of researchers converged to study deep states of uh, yoga. So this is today's uh, sutra on smriti. Anubhuta visaya sampramoshas smritihi Anubhuta vishaya sampramosha smritihi. Anubhuta means that which is experienced. Vishaya is the object of the senses. Asampramoshaha means, technically, it actually means not being stolen away. A thief not taking it away, not being stolen away. But here in this context, it means that it is not slipping away or not fading away. Okay. And that is smriti. So memory is actually the retention or not slipping away of images that have been created by the objects of the senses, which have been experienced by the objects of the senses. right? Or experienced by the senses, but those impressions of the objects we retain in our memory. Every little thing, we move a finger, We we see something through our eyes. We touch something. Every little action creates impressions. Whether it is a voluntary action or it's an involuntary action, constantly there is information and uh, data that is flowing within through the senses. And Vyasa Maharishi talks about memory as being dependent on the other vrittis because you have right source of knowledge, you have incorrect knowledge, you have vikalpa which is imagination. And based on these vrittis, that is what you impression in your own mind. Isn't it? Suppose you read a book, right? Which is a source of right knowledge, say the Bhagavad Gita. You read a few verses, you understand the meaning. And then based on that, you store it in your memory for later recall. You see a particular scene through your eyes outside, in the outside world. So you see, for example, the clouds, there's a bird moving there. You see the high-rise apartment over there and all that. So all the things that you see through your eyes, through your senses, the objects of the senses, those images actually get impressioned in your chitta and those form memories. So information is received through the sense organs and the mind forms an image of those objects. But when it becomes a train of things, then it is a vritti. Okay, it's a train of such stills means such photographs. For example, you take multiple photographs and you paste it on a drum and you move the drum. Then it appears as if the object which is there in the photograph is moving. You take photograph of a person running at different time shots. Okay, and you put it on a drum and you rotate the drum. You would see that it looks as if that person is running. That becomes a vritti. Because it is a series of thoughts or strain of thoughts that are flowing in your chitta. right? And these vrittis, eventually what happens is that when we actively engage with them, when we recollect them, when we recall information, then it becomes an active process of memory. But when we are not engaging with them, but they they still get impression in our mind, then that is called a samskara. Because... It is not, you're not actively engaging with it, but still it is there in your system. For example, like uh, say brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth is not an active memory process. When you were a child, when somebody was teaching you, then there was some force that was applied. At that time, every day you had to remember to brush your teeth. But after it gets integrated, it gets, it becomes a deeper impression. It becomes a samskara. It is no more an active memory, but some kind of a habit which has integrated in your system and it flowers whenever the necessary situation is created. The samskara of a brushing your teeth comes about whenever you wake up in the morning, you feel that your mouth, you're not feeling fresh or whatever, you immediately go and brush your teeth. So similarly, there will be many such samskaras that are created. For example, you learned the Bhagavad Gita when you were a child. Say you learned the 15th chapter. In your school, they taught you. Then what happens? The ch- ch- chanting samskara stays with you, but may be dormant. But when a given, uh, suppose you visited the ashram, okay, what happens? That The dormant samskara of chanting that was there gets invocated. And then you get into, then it comes into your active memory and then you actionate on it. So when the right field is provided, when the suitable conditions come to play, the samskaras flower. This is also, you know, in modern uh, science, uh, for example, they also talk about Goldilocks conditions. Goldilocks conditions are the right kind of conditions for the samskaras to come to fruition. So, Goldilocks, I think you know this story. This little girl, she was there. She went to, to a house where there were, uh, you know, three bears that were living: father bear, mother bear, and child bear. And she will try to sit on the chair. She will try to sit on the sleep on the bed. She will try to eat uh, eat some porridge. And then they were, she will notice that the child's uh, chair, porridge, and bed is what best suits her. So the best conditions arise. Right. So it is in modern science. It's called the Goldilocks condition. So the whole of creation also happens when this Goldilocks condition comes together. When there is the right moment for creation to happen, say for example, the pralaya has happened and more or less everything is destroyed, there is nothing called complete destruction because there is always some seed samskara that is there from which everything arises again. This is beautifully captured in the Devi Bhagavatam. Brahmaji is in the other is a pralaya that happens, everything has dissolved, and Brahmaji is in deep meditation. Now he feels, okay, everything has anyway dissolved, I have nothing much to do at the moment. And uh, what he does is that he is in deep meditation. And then this command comes now go and create something. So this happens uh, to people in meditation, right? They want to happily meditate. But then all of a sudden, that particular task comes to the mind. Oh, I forgot to pay the bill. Let me go and do that. So this thought came to Brahmaji or it was a voice that said, now go and create. So he was in deep meditation. But then since it was a command, he woke up from his meditation. And then he was wondering, where do I create from? What shall I look at in order to create this? He was wonderstruck. Because he had, he thought everything is now destroyed, everything is complete, how do I do it? Then he prayed to Devi, he prayed to Shakti and Shakti uh, Devi, she came in a beautiful chariot and said, you accompany me, I will show you everything. And then uh, she goes around in this entire universe and then she shows there is another Brahma there, Vishnu there, Shiva there, there is this earth, there are the trees, there are different planets and this entire creation, she travels through that creation, shows it to Brahmaji. And then uh, she says that, so this is the model based on which you have to create. Then he recollects, oh, this is the model, this is a template that I need to use in order to create uh, the new world. And then he realizes that Devi, Ma Devi, is actually that moola prakriti from which everything emerges. And of course, uh, then uh, the various shaktis come together and then creation happens. So in this process, there is always that seed or that uh, samskara that is there or what you call uh, shesha samskaras, which help to create, create the new things from there. When the right environment... Is created When the right soil and fertility is created, the plant grows. Similarly, the samskaras are still stored in that seed from which the whole thing can emanate. And uh, even to us it happens, even to the, what you can say, the uh, individual it happens, that the seed samskaras will always be there. And when the environment is created, those seed samskaras flower, And hence, it is important to keep the seed samskaras as minimal as possible so that the process of dissolution or whatever becomes an easy process. It is said that it takes at least a kalpa for the jiva to completely dissolve. We might not be in the body, but still that small identity is there, that shesha samskara is there, which takes almost a kalpa for it to completely dissolve. Right? So, until then, it is still there as some kind of an identity. So, it is important that the right, first of all, the right vrittis and impressions are formed through our actions. Keeping those, uh, you know, these samskaras or impressions to a minimal is always helpful. So, how do we keep these samskaras to a minimal? Because we are engaged in so many activities. That is where the Bhagavad Gita comes handy. Whenever we do something with the approach of Seva Bhava or as Karma Yoga or as an offering where it is not really for us, then these impressions are not created. Whenever we take up something with a certain ahamkara that I am the doer, it is for me, this mamakara and ahamkara, then deeper and deeper impressions are formed through such actions. And then these are eventually, these eventually play out at different points in time. So that is why it is important to take up some form of sadhana and seva, which is of in the nature of selflessness. Throughout your day, we are always involved in activities that are focused on the self. I am hungry, so I have to eat. I need money, so I have to work. I need to complete this tasks because that is how I derive satisfaction. But suppose we take up a good part of the day in order to do something that is of service or selfless service, then these impressions are not formed. Then the positive samskaras are formed. Eventually, we have the opportunity to trans- transcend these samskaras. So, when we say smriti, it is anubhuta vishaya sampramosha smritihi. So, in the Nyaya Sutras, in Tarkasangraha, it is spoken of two twin aspects. One is Smriti, the other one is Anubhava. Anubhava is that which we directly experience and Smriti is that which forms an impression and we are able to recollect and recall. The same Smriti, when it becomes very, very deep, it becomes a samskara. Okay. So Vyasa Maharishi talks about real and unreal memories, Okay, true memories and untrue memories. That depends on our vrittis and kleshas. Suppose we have incorrect knowledge about something, we form an incorrect memory of that. Or our memory is cloud, or our, our, our chitta is clouded by emotions. At that time also, what happens is that we find it difficult, uh, I mean, uh, unreal memories are formed. Say we go to a place. And at that time, our mind is clouded with lot of negative emotions the way we store that that particular uh, event will be very different, right? Because our mind is clouded with negative emotions, we may not perceive that situation to be a positive and favorable situation. Whereas a person who accompanied me, because that person is in a positive frame of mind, they might record the event to be a very fruitful event. So when, when I come back, when somebody will ask, how was your day? I'd say, sort of okay. I mean... It was bitter. I I did not enjoy it. As the next person, they'll say, I had a wonderful time. Because my mind was clouded with my own, say, for example, past emotions or my expectations or whatever, what I record in my memory changes very significantly. So that is why these unreal and real memories are spoken about. So similarly, each of the vrittis are painful or not painful, depending on how they occur and how we process them. So this is the modern representation of what a memory is. right? So through the sensory memory, there are sensory inputs that are there. And then it goes on to the sensory memory. And when we pay attention to it, then it forms short-term memory. It is impressioned in the memory. But when we keep repeating that particular thing, then it goes into the long-term memory and the information is not lost for a very, very significant amount of time. So somebody comes and tells you their phone number. Okay, You remember it for a short period of time. There are 10 digits. You remember it for a short period of time. But suppose it is the birth date of someone you really like. At that time, what happens? Because there are some emotions attached to it, you remember it for a very long time. That is one thing. Second thing, suppose uh, you know that phone number. I've repeated it for about ten times, twenty times, thirty times, or whatever. And you have some associational memory as well, how to remember that particular number. Then that particular number stays in your memory for a very, very long time. And uh, in when we say long time, just that in our context, in the Indian context, it can even stay for lifetimes. Not the phone number, but uh, in the form of samskaras, whatever habits that we develop. Whatever thought process that we develop, they all come with us. Though the sthula sharira is left behind, the sukshma sharira is carried forward. And we remember all of these because these, guys, these are all impressioned in the sukshma sharira. Okay. This is a nice video on how
0: the memory works. Think
1: back
2: to a really vivid memory got it okay now try to remember what you had for lunch three weeks ago that second memory probably isn't as strong but why not why do we remember some things and not others and why do memories eventually fade let's look at how memories form in the first place when you experience something like dialing a phone number the experience is converted into a pulse of electrical energy that zips along a network of neurons information first lands in short-term memory where it's available from anywhere from a few seconds to a couple of minutes it's then transferred to long-term memory through areas such as the hippocampus and finally to several storage regions across the brain neurons throughout the brain communicate at dedicated sites called synapses using specialized neurotransmitters if two neurons communicate repeatedly a remarkable thing happens. The efficiency of communication between them increases. This process, called long-term potentiation, is considered to be a mechanism by which memories are stored long-term. But how do some memories get lost? Age is one factor. As we get older, synapses begin to falter and weaken, affecting how easily we can retrieve memories. Scientists have several theories about what's behind this deterioration. From actual brain shrinkage, the hippocampus loses 5% of its neurons every decade for a total loss of 20% by the time you're 80 years old to the drop in the production of neurotransmitters like acetylcholine, which is vital to learning and memory. These changes seem to affect how people retrieve stored information. Age also affects our memory-making abilities. Memories are encoded most strongly when we're paying attention. When we're deeply engaged, and informative to us mental and physical health problems which tend to increase as we age interfere with our ability to pay attention and thus act as memory thieves another leading cause of memory problems is chronic stress that when we're constantly overloaded with work and personal responsibilities our bodies are on hyper alert This response has evolved from the physiological mechanism designed to make sure we can survive any crisis. Stress chemicals help mobilize energy and increase alertness. However, with chronic stress, our bodies become flooded with these chemicals, resulting in a loss of brain cells and an inability to form new ones, which affects our ability to retain new information. Depression is another culprit. People who are depressed are 40% more likely to develop memory problems. Low levels of serotonin, a neurotransmitter connected to arousal, may make depressed individuals less attentive to new information. Dwelling on sad events in the past, another symptom of depression, makes it difficult to pay attention to the present, affecting the ability to store short-term memories. Isolation, which is tied to depression, is another memory thief. A study by the Harvard School of Public Health found that older people with high levels of social integration had a slower rate of memory decline over a six-year period. The exact reason remains unclear, but experts suspect that social interaction gives our brain a mental workout. Just like muscle strength, we have to use our brain or risk losing it. But don't despair. There are several steps you can take to aid your brain in preserving your memories. Make sure you keep physically active, Increased blood flow to the brain is helpful. And eat well. Your brain needs all the right nutrients to keep functioning correctly. And finally, give your brain a workout. Exposing your brain to challenges like learning a new language is one of the best defenses for keeping your memories intact.
1: So here you see that how memory is uh, formed based on the object of the senses. And over a period of time, we lose memory, but some of the things actually get impressioned in a very deep way, which uh, eventually are stored as samskaras. Mm-hmm. Just to do with memory. The next sutra. So we have looked at the five pritis: ramana, viparyaya, vikalpa, nidras, Smriti. So how do the how do we stop the Vrittis or how does the cessation of the Vrittis happen? So here Patanjali Maharishi says Abhyasa Vairagya Bhyam Tan Nirodaha Abhyasa Abhyasa Vairagya Bhyam Tan Nirodaha Abhyasa is practice. Vairagya is of course dispassion or detachment. Through that process, through Abhyasa and Vairagya, the Vrittis are controlled or restrained. The Vritti states of the mind are stilled by practice and dispassion or through Abhyasa and Vairagya. This is very much in sync with what Bhagavan Shri Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita 6th chapter. In the Bhagavad Gita 6th chapter, it is a beautiful chapter. It is Dhyana Yoga. Some of it we have also captured in our mini book on how to meditate. The whole chapter is about preparing oneself for dhyana and how one can prepare one's body, mind, even the location where we sit for meditation. How can it be prepared in order to experience deeper states? And what is that state that a yogi experiences? All this is given in the sixth chapter. It's a beautiful chapter. So when Bhagwan Sri Krishna talks to Arjuna, Arjuna has a doubt here. He says that oh, what you say is fine. But looks like controlling the mind seems to be more difficult than controlling the wind. That is what Arjuna asks. Isn't why is it so difficult? So Bhagavan says He says yes, what you say is right. indeed the mind is difficult to control. So one of the ways or the twofold approaches to control the mind is through Abhyasa and Vairagya. Abhyasa is practice and Vairagya is detachment. So in the Vyasa-Bhyashya, Bhyasya, is beautifully mentioned that the mind is like a stream. The Chitta is like a stream. It can flow towards Kaivalya by flowing through the channel of Vairagya or, or sorry, through or by the channel of Viveka, or it can flow into the cycle of samsara, that is birth and death, by flowing through the channel of aviveka, where we do not know what is permanent, what is impermanent. We don't have, don't have a perspective of who we are. Dharma, dharma, vichara, we don't have Punya, Punya Vichara, we don't have. And we flow through that channel, and eventually we end up into the sea of samsara which is the cycle of birth and death. We keep coming back. Punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani jathare shayanam. We keep coming back in the womb and to this buloka. Because we have travelled through the channel of aviveka. And that is why the guru or the devata is compared to the boatman who travels, helps us to travel across the ocean of samsara, which helps us, who helps us to cross the ocean of samsara. There is this, I think there is this beautiful, even uh, Meera Bhajan that talks about, right? In uh, Satki na Kevatiya sat Satguru In the Payoji Mene, Ramarathanathan Payo, she beautifully talks about how this the boat of truth, the boatman is the guru and he helps us to cross this sagara of samsara. And that is mainly because of avidya, aviveka, that we actually fall into this trap. But if we travel through the channel of viveka, where we know what is nitya, what is anitya, where, what is dharma, what is adharma, then there is no confusion in our mind as to which is the atman and which is not. At that time, it becomes a very easy process. We eventually land in the sea of kaivalya or moksha, mukti or whatever it is. So through vairagya, this flow happens towards the towards the samskara is checked and through viveka, this flow is reversed. So this Vairagya, Viveka, all that, you know, the sadhana chatushtaya that we read about in Vedanta comes handy. Where because of detachment, we don't, we prevent ourselves flowing into this samsara. And by using the Viveka buddhi, by reasoning it out and saying, understanding what is right and what is wrong, we can actually reverse the flow and then we can travel on the path of Kaivalya. So these are important tools. And for that, a lot of practice is needed. Abhyasa is needed. So what is abhyasa? That is the next uh, sutra. The next sutra talks about tatra sthitav yatno, yatno bhyasaha. It means that in order to fix, uh, you know, from practice is that effort to fix the mind or to fix the mind in a concentrated state. Practice is that effort. Yatna means effort. And Abhyasa is practice. So practice is the effort that we take in order to fix the mind in a concentrated state. So Vyasa defines this concentrated state as the peaceful flow of the mind without any distraction. And for this peaceful flow of the mind, for a concentrated flow of the mind, This effort is needed. Otherwise, it doesn't happen automatically. So there is this beautiful story of Arjuna. Arjuna was studying under Dronacharya in the uh, ashram. So Dronacharya had told uh, the cook there that uh, don't serve food uh, when it is dark. He told the cook, don't serve food to Arjuna when it is dark. So it was an Amavasya night and Arjuna was having his food and all of a sudden the lights went out. And when the lights came, the cook saw that Arjuna was not there in his seat. Then he looked out of the window and then he saw Arjuna practicing even in the darkness. Then he understood, the guru understood what Arjuna had figured out. So when the lights went out, Arjuna figured out that he could take his hand and put it into his mouth without any effort. So he did not need the vision to put his hand into the mouth to eat the food. So he figured out that he does not need the eyes alone in order to be an effective archer. He could use his other senses in order to become an effective archer. So since then, he started practicing day and night, even on an Amavasya night. So he understood that the Indriya uh, Samyama and Mano Nigraha are extremely important for one to achieve this level of concentration. Since then his Abhyasa had changed. So this control of the mind does not happen automatically. One has to put in effort in order to make it happen. The later you would see that in the Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada a lot of insights are given into how to achieve this particular state of mind, which is not distracted. There are different eight to nine techniques that Maharishi potentially gives out, in terms of chanting the Om, uh, in terms of balancing the breath, or focusing on the Guru or Devata, like that. There are a lot of uh, you know tools and uh, you know insights that he gives, which we will see in the later sutras. So, immense amount of effort is needed in order to focus the mind. Otherwise, what happens? All of this is dissipated. We get into the state of Shipta, Muda, and Dikshitta. So, abhyasa or practice is a very key aspect. And what is that particular abhyasa? How do we define abhyasa? We'll, we'll look at this sutra and stop for today. Satu nairantarya satkara sevito dridhabhumihi. How do we become established in our practice? By taking something for dirghakala nairantirya without any break and satkara sevita. Means it means that taking it up with devotion, taking it up with involvement and enthusiasm, then it we become established in our practice. Many people in the modern context, they say, if you take up something and practice for 10,000 hours, You become established in that practice, whether it is piano or whether it is meditation or whether it is to do with uh, writing or whatever it is. How do you get established in this process when you do it for 10,000 hours? So if you do a rough calculation for 10,000 hours, more or less it would come into this Dirga kala and nairantarya. Dirga kala is prolonged and nairantarya is uninterrupted. So he talks about three things here, duration, interruption and devotion. Duration, a long duration. Interruption, there should be no interruption in that. And a devotion, with a lot of enthusiasm and involvement, when one does something, it's very in- easy to integrate a particular practice. This is a very key aspect even for children. When we are trying to incul- inculcate new habits in them, new practices in the house, it's very important to set a duration for it and do it without any interruption. And that too, with a lot of devotion and enthusiasm, then it becomes easy to integrate that particular practice. With that, right. So we'll uh, stop uh, here. We'll look at these sutras again a little uh, later in the next uh, session because these uh, these form very key insights onto how to do this abhyasa and how to you know sort of imbibe the aspects of vairakya. Right. We close with an invocation and then we'll take questions. Mm. Loka Samasta, Sokino Paventu. Loka Samasta, Sokino Paventu. Loka Samasta, Sokino Bhavantu Om Shanti Shanti Shanti.
0: Om Shri Guru Pyo